I'm James Neal Jr. with the James Neal Farms in Pearsall, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. This is Texas Ag Today, the number one source for the latest news in Texas agriculture. The largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State covers it all. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's today's top stories. The winter wheat crop in the Texas Panhandle has been riding a roller coaster when it comes to the weather this season. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Students tour Texas Farm Bureau's Doorways to Agriculture exhibit at the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo to learn more about where their food and fiber come from. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll be reporting from the Fort Worth Show on Texas Ag Today. A soaking rain has found us in Central Texas. This is Dr. Shane McClellan, and I'll have more from Waco. Now, here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Be sure to hold on tight because it all starts right now. Emergency management officials are advising landowners in five Texas counties to remove livestock from flood-prone areas due to excessive rainfall upstream. The counties impacted are Liberty, Victoria, Montgomery, Lavaca, and Calhoun. Monty Dozer is the program director of the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Assessment and Recovery Program. He says runoff is occurring from heavy rain upstream and flooding is imminent over the next few days. The Texas dairy herd got smaller last quarter, but milk production increased. According to a new report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Texas dairies produced more than 4 billion pounds of milk from October to December. That's up 2% from the July to September quarter, but is 1% lower than the same time last year. There were approximately 635,000 head of dairy cattle in Texas last quarter. That's down 18,000 head from the same quarter in 2022. Nationally, milk production was down less than 1% last quarter to 55.6 billion pounds. There were 9.36 million milk cows in the U.S. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cotton market has shown some strength over the past couple of weeks, but economic uncertainty may keep a lid on prices this year. Texas A&M cotton marketing specialist John Robinson. Again, this general outlook fear and concern for slow economic growth it kind of keeps it's going to keep the lid on the market i believe Um, and it'll leave us with a focus on the supply side you know the normal uh, acres and weather and crop growth and production side that that'll be the main influential thing uh, going forward and this with this year that's coming the season that's unfolding you know the the main thing that we have to hang our hat on is that um, we're we have a el nino forecast which generally implies wetter weather so um, I, i would 
generally think, and I, you know, I hope this happens for everybody, that they have good production, good yields. But, but if it happens in the aggregate, we may have more supply than we can handle with the slow demand picture that, that I'm concerned about. If we do have those good growing conditions and a bigger crop this year, Robinson says we could see prices drop down into the 60s. So now may be a good time to price cotton. He's projecting cotton futures to spend most of their time in the mid-60s to upper 70s during the growing season. The winter wheat crop in the Texas Panhandle has been riding a roller coaster when it comes to the weather this season. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. The growing season for winter wheat is a long one, and the crop typically experiences a wide variety of weather along the way. This season got underway at a time when much of the Texas Panhandle was in a dry spell. Then some helpful rains came along in December, but earlier this month there was that challenging cold spell where the thermometer spent a lot of time down in the single digits and in some cases even below zero. During a trip to Dumas, I asked Moore County Extension agent Marcel Fischbacher for his assessment of wheat in his area. The upside for wheat is that our soil moisture is as good as it's been this time of year for several years, so that's a good thing. I do think that we probably had some very vulnerable wheat to two things. I think some of the dry land came up and died, so I don't think it's going to be spotty. And that cold weather was hard on some of that wheat that never really set up a good root system. So really uh, thinking that even though the moisture is in the right place, I guess we won't know till March what kind of stands that we have in our wheat crop. Some of the irrigated should be pretty good, but a lot of the dry land, it could have been too dry too long and then too cold before the plant got well established. So in other words, yeah, we have good moisture now, but we didn't have it in time for the dry land that you're talking about. Yeah, I don't think we had it in time for really the wheat to really root down and get a good stand. I do think some of it uh, probably came up and probably did die. It appeared to have in, in spots. You see some wheat in some places and you see a lot of bare ground out there too. So, you know, they always say wheat has nine lives, but to see what will come back and what we'll have, we won't know for a little while. And Marcel Fischbacher says those hoping for a good outcome include a number of Moore County farmers who would like to take wheat that was planted as a cover crop onto a grain harvest. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo is underway. Tom Nicoletti reports from the show. I am in Fort Worth at the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, and a number of school tours are going through Texas Farm Bureau's Doorways to Agriculture exhibit, and uh, with me is uh, the teacher of one of those groups of students, Monica Ramirez. She is a second grade teacher in the Fort Worth ISD. And Monica, why is it important for you to have your uh, students at Doorways to Agriculture? It is very important to have our students here so they can learn where our food is coming from, the food sources, where do we get our eggs, where do we get our milk, how do we get it. Also in second grade at the moment we do teach them a lot about the life cycles of animals so it's just very important for them to actually see it with their own eyes. They get to make all those connections and build more background knowledge as well. These students being from the city, urban students, that's even more important for them to know more about agriculture. Correct. So a lot of these students, they come from low-income families. Some of them might not have the opportunity to come on their own with their families. By bringing them on a field trip, it's a great opportunity for them to be able to experience the stock show and everything that it gives to the kids. When they go through this exhibit, one of the stops is a cotton gin and how cotton is produced. 
produced and they get to see that. Yes, they get to see all that. They get to get all that information. They can go back to their families and explain what they saw. And it's just building their background knowledge. It's helping them to even think about their future. Uh, for example, I had one student who was like, yay, I get to see how they milk the cow so that when I become a farmer. So it's just they, they're even thinking about their future now. That is Monica Ramirez. She's a second grade teacher in the Fort Worth ISD. Reporting from the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, I'm Tom Nicoletti for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Central Texas has been blessed with abundant rainfall. Dr. Shane McClellan has this update from Waco. For much of 2023, we were drier than we would like to be, so much so their crops suffered, as did most of Texas. We just need a good soaking rain to rebound from that dry weather. If you look at the last 52 days, we have received the same rainfall as compared to our 30-year average rainfall. That's a great thing when we were behind that uh, in 2023. So really good going into 2024, kind of with normal average expected rainfall. That's good, especially with corn planting less than a month away. Corn planting in Central Texas will start once our soil temperatures consistently remain above 50 degrees Fahrenheit. That has been as early as February 4th, but that's way early. By February 10th, February 15th, I would expect most producers in our area to be planting corn if the proper planting conditions exist, and they normally do. Uh, we have gone into our corn planting season too often with a dry seed bed, and that's not desirable. And the rains we were receiving this past week are the type of rains that we need to provide topsoil moisture as well as subsoil moisture the plants will need as we get into the growing season. Oats and wheat have been bitten back by the freezing weather that we received in mid-January. Our Central Texas wheat producers need to remember the most of our varieties are grown several hundred miles north of us. In the current growing stage of our wheat, wheat variety is, is going to be able to withstand some freezing weather. Now, it is showing some signs of leaf burn, browning of leaf tissue, but our wheat should be able to outgrow that current damage. You just need some water and sunshine. Our producers have been busy during the cold weather, some of many livestock with feeding hay, as well as breaking ice to allow livestock to drink. I am seeing some of our cool season annuals like ryegrass that also are showing the symptoms of freeze damage. But again, they will outgrow that. They're fairly hardy to cold weather. Just need some moisture and sun, and then they'll be able to offer some grazing as they outgrow that. This is Dr. Shane McClellan from Waco with Texas Ag Today. Several Texans are questioning the size and the purpose of chronic wasting disease surveillance and containment zones in Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And feeding cows at night can bring more calves during the day. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up. These stories plus a look at the markets are straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're making Texas agriculture great again. This is Texas Ag Today. Feeding cows at night can cause more calf births during the day. Dr. Bob Judd tells how it works. 
It is much easier to monitor your cows if they calve during daylight hours versus at night, and feeding time can have an effect on when the cows calve. Dr. Mark Johnson from Oklahoma State Extension indicates at Drovers.com that calving during daylight hours means the calves are usually born in warmer temperatures, which is better for the calves and the rancher. The concept of nighttime feeding was introduced by a Manitoba rancher in the 1970s as he found 80% of his cows calved between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. when they were fed later in the day. These cows were fed at noon and 10 p.m. at night. Research at Iowa State produced similar results with 1,331 cows fed only at dusk and 85% of the cows calved from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Scientists have not confirmed why this occurs, but some believe it has to do with hormones' effect on the cow's rumen. Dr. Adele Hardy, formerly with South Dakota Extension, indicates that to be the most effective, this protocol should be started one month prior to calving. So now is the time to start it. However, if you are already calving, starting it now will still have some effect. Also, stay as close to the same feeding schedule and feeding amount as possible, as even deviating 15 minutes from the regular time or providing different amount of feed can reduce the effectiveness. It is important to still maintain regular night checks, as although there will be less calving at night, it's not 100%. The plan seems to work better in a dry lot situation where all the feed is provided and the plan may not work as well in a pasture situation, unless you can control grazing times and offer supplemental hay late in the day. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Several Texans are questioning the size and purpose of chronic wasting disease surveillance and containment zones. Jessica Domal has the story in today's Wildlife Report. Several members of the public and several people on the Parks and Wildlife Commission are questioning the creation and size of chronic wasting disease containment and surveillance zones and their impact on deer breeders, hunters, and landowners. At the most recent Parks and Wildlife Commission hearing, Vice Chairman Oliver Bell voiced his concerns. It seems like our zones are just, it strikes me from a common sense perspective, they strike me as being too large and that we're having maybe some additional negative impact that we maybe shouldn't have. We do need to have some type of containment, but can we shrink that? When I look down, I see sometimes how much acreage is impacted or how many landowners are impacted. It kind of sends a shiver down my spine. I don't want to use the term chilling, but it has a chilling effect, right? And I can see where we're being well-intentioned, though, we're creating adversaries of folks that should be our friends and who should understand that we're trying to look out for their interests. And maybe we need to repackage how we present protection. Alan Kane, TPWD's Big Game Program Director, told the commission that a two-mile surveillance zone is established around deer breeding facilities when the neurological deer disease is detected there. A five-mile zone is established around an area when CWD is detected in a free-ranging deer. A little over a year ago when we had the detection in uh, Duval County, actually been a couple of years, we started out with a much larger zone there and at the direction of the commission we ended up shrinking those down to just a two mile zone to really focus the zone size to reduce impact on landowners but focus our surveillance and sampling effort right around where that positive detection occurred. So we've made some advances trying to shrink the zones. In the context of places like Coleman County, for example, when we established the zone, because we have a containment and surveillance zone both there, and that's a much larger zone than some of these 
the surveillance zones where it's only in a captive facility. Those are based on, in part, the biology of the animal. So, for example, we put a five-mile buffer around where that pause is located, that free-range pause is located, and that's, you know, the average dispersal rate of like a yearling buck. And so if you had deer right around where that posit is, they might disperse out five miles from there. And so that gives us some idea if there's pause in there, we're kind of got them contained or they're in this general area. And so that's the, why we put that size in is based on the biology, the movement of the deer. And then we try to put a surveillance zone around that snap to roads or rivers or some definable feature that's easy for hunters to understand. Ken explained that some of the new zones that were established at the meeting included more acreage than others because zones include all properties wholly or partially within the two or five mile area from the CWD positive deer. Several associations also voiced their support and opposition to the zones. We'll have more on that on our next show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolman. We'll check the markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Sometimes you love them, sometimes you cuss them. Here's a look at the markets on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex traded lower on Monday due to a number of factors. Analysts say traders may be cautious as we begin this week, as futures already have higher cash factored in, and cattle futures are becoming overbought technically. February live cattle down a dollar seven to one seventy seven thirty seven. April live cattle down forty five cents to one eighty one twenty two. June live cattle down thirty seven cents to one seventy eight forty seven. Feeder cattle traded lower despite corn also trading lower on Monday. March feeder cattle down a dollar seven to two thirty eight sixty two. April feeder cattle down a dollar even to two forty four sixty. May feeder cattle down a dollar twelve to two fifty oh five. Box beef was mixed. Choice was up ninety seven cents to three hundred and one dollars and fifty cents. Select down twenty cents to two hundred and eighty eight dollars and ninety three cents. Now let's take a look at those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Rodney Butler, Beeville Livestock. How did you sell cattle this last Friday? Well, we had a good sale Friday. We had some good rains the dear Lord sent us early in the week, but we ended up with a good sale. We had 280 head of cattle. Good. Walk the pins with us. All right. That old market was steady to active. Your two to 300 pound steers were 276 to 318. Heifers were 218 to 245. 300, 400 pound steers were 269 to 315. Heifers 235 to 270. Your 400 to 500 pound steers were 261 to 310. Heifers were 233 to 260. 500, 600 pound steers were 242 to 259. Heifers 224 to 251. 600, 700 pound steers were 223 to 249. Heifers 210 to 221. And your 700, 800 pound steers were 205 to 235. And heifers were 195 to 204. Packer cows were pretty strong and steady Friday. They brought anywhere from 80 to $1.09. Packer bulls brought anywhere from 67 to $1.18. Young cows, we had a few of them. They brought anywhere from 69 to $1.20. 
21 with some bread cows dollaring out around that 15.50. And we didn't have any pairs last Friday, sir. Do you know of anything for this coming Friday yet? Yes, sir, I do. I know of a set of, uh, I guess they're going to be Charlay and Black Hives. It'll probably be around 80 of them from one person. And then I got a few other uh, small bunches coming in this next week. So, yes, sir, we're going to have a good start for next Friday. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Rodney Butler. Yeah, well, you can call me at 361-358-1727 or call me on my mobile, 645-5002. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you and take care. Bye-bye. Neighbor, thanks so much for joining us here on Walking the Pins in the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. That was Rodney Butler. This is our program for today. We appreciate you listening to us right this second on Texas Ag Today. February lean hogs up 35 cents Monday to 75 at 27. April lean hogs up 17 cents to 83.42. Block cheese rose less than a cent Monday to $1.61. Barrel cheese rose 0.08 cents to $1.55. January class 3 milk up 2 cents to 15.22 a hundredweight. February class 3 milk up 39 cents to 16.45 a hundredweight. After losses on Friday, the cotton market was steady on Monday. March cotton down 11 points to 84.26. May cotton down 6 points to 85.57. December cotton up 43 points to 81.05. Corn traded lower on Monday due to a favorable weather forecast for South American corn production. Mainly rain is expected this week in Brazil and Argentina. March corn down 6 to 4.40 and a quarter. May corn down five and a quarter to 450 and a half. September corn down two and three quarters to 465 and three quarters. March hard red wheat down six and a half to 618 and a quarter. May hard red wheat down six and three quarters to 618 and a quarter. July hard red wheat down seven and three quarters to 615 and a half. March soybeans were down 15 on Monday to 1194 and a quarter. Analysts say that is due to rain in the forecast in Brazil and Argentina. February natural gas down 25 cents to 246. March natural gas down 11 cents to 206. March crude oil down $1.11 to 76.90. April crude oil down $1.08 to 76.78 a barrel. The Dow rose 48 points Monday to 38,158. The S&P 500 up 14 points to 4,905. And the NASDAQ up 94 points to 15,549. Well, that wraps up this look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. We hope you join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Dolmel. I hope to see you then. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Be sure to follow the Texas Ag Today podcast, found wherever you listen to podcasts. For more Texas farm and ranch news, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.